This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shea podcast, Anthony Rivera here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. Episode 62 is upon us, so much to talk about today, the injury bug finally coming for the New York Mets, they lose their first series of the season to the Seattle Mariners, plus so much more, including who in the world does Paul Seawald think he is? But before we start the show, I wanted to thank our guest from last week's podcast, Matthew Searle. Matthew, as you know, is an MLB Network researcher and the New York Mets entertainment statistician. He was a great guest last week. You can follow him on Twitter at Searle Baseball and read his work on SearleBaseball.com. We're going to have him on in the near future. And I really enjoyed the content that he brought to the podcast. Like I mentioned earlier, as we get into this show, the injury bug has come for the New York Mets. We're going to start off with James McCann, who's now out six weeks with a broken left hammock bone in his left hand. He will be having surgery, and the timetable is just around six weeks. And we got to look into what he's done so far this season. Offensively, it's been a little tough for James McCann. He's struggled mostly with his offense and has had such a hard time trying to get going this season He's batting under the Mendoza line, 196, one home run, six RBIs. But it looked like he was starting to show some signs of life. Over the last 15 games, he was batting 250 with the one home run and five RBIs. But he has struggled really since last year to get himself going offensively. The guy that we thought we were getting when we signed him from the Chicago White Sox, we actually got the other version from the Detroit Tigers where he could not hit there. But, you know, the offense is not there, but his handling of the pitching staff, his framing, and his arm is what will be missed most, and those things cannot be denied. I don't think people really understand that aspect of his game, and it will be missed. It really will. Tomas Nito and Patrick Mazika are going to have to hold down the fort. As you know, Mazika got called up, and if they both struggle, you got to wonder, will the Mets look into the trade market for a catcher? Because we look at Tomas Nito's stats right now, and he's off to a worse start than he did last season. He, he actually... Once they split him and McCann and they split their time together, both of those guys put together a good string of games. Uh, right now, Tomas Nito is batting 212 with just five RBIs, 11 hits. He has struggled for the most part, but the last seven games, I still see 235, one RBI, seven strikeouts, only four hits. He is also a guy that's going to, like McCann, frame the ball, work well with the pitching staff. And his arm, 
right? His throwing arm is also a huge part of his game. So with McCann out and a reliance on Tomas Nito and Patrick Mazika, who we're going to get into as well because Mazika Magic returned on Saturday when he hit that go-ahead home run against the Mariners, uh, we got to think about what happens if these guys don't perform form at least adequately offensively right you want them at least hitting over 210 right I mean obviously we're not going to get the Mike Piazza days of catching or even the Paul Aduka I think Paul Aduka once Paul Aduka left I have not seen a very successful catcher for the New York Mets that I think was once Piazza was gone and and once Paul Aduka was gone after the 07 season it's been a crapshoot with catching. So you got to hope that these guys hold down the fort and play well and add as much offense as they can to this team. And Tomas Nito's been batting better than James McCann, but not by much. And Patrick Mazika, although he hit that home run, really doesn't give you too much offense. He struggled with... Chris Bassett with the signs while he was catching, and that's something that you don't want to see. So hopefully that was just nerves of coming back to the major leagues. Hopefully he turns it around. But one thing is for sure, and I want to make sure that this is well known, that Francisco Alvarez is not going to be brought up. The 10th ranked prospect in Major League Baseball, the Mets' number one prospect, he is not coming up anytime soon. He's had a rough go after a great start in his uh, season. Right now he's batting 245 with four home runs, 18 RBIs, and has 25 hits in 102 at-bats. Scored 14 runs, but he has struggled recently. And um, just over the last, I want to say, a couple of games, he's been able to turn it around, but he has a lot of work. Obviously, we all know the offense that he brings to the table, right? We saw it in spring training, that little sample size that we got from Francisco Alvarez. And he has a lot of work when it comes to framing and working with the pitching staff. That's a very important aspect, especially when you have guys like Chris Bassett. Max Scherzer, Jacob deGrom. You don't want to bring back the days when we would have Noah Syndergaard and he would have to have his personal catcher because he didn't want to work with Wilson Ramos or he didn't want to work with Travis Darno. You don't want those days. You want these catchers in the lineup, especially Francisco Alvarez, who is a, you know, top bat prospect. Definitely a top offensive prospect, but you want him to be able to catch. You want him to be able to throw runners out if he it's possible, but the framing of the pitching is very important. You don't want Francisco Alvarez being a Gary Sanchez. And now I don't want to destroy Gary Sanchez, but the Yankee fans themselves destroyed Gary Sanchez because he was not a great catcher. So you want Francisco Alvarez to be that elite prospect that we've all learned and heard about, that top 10 guy in Major League Baseball. You want that for him, so give him time to grow. The Mets are sitting right now, I think is it 10 games over 500 at this moment in time. The team is doing well. There's been a couple of hiccups. They've lost their first series right now. So let's give this kid time to grow. Maybe next season will be the year that he comes up. Maybe the season after that. That's why James McCann signed for four years. I think the best way to go is to maybe look into the trade market for an adequate catcher. If this injury to McCann lingers and if Mazika and Nito can't hold down the fort. So we'll see. We'll see what happens also with the Tyler McGill injury. 15-day 
injured list he's been put on with right bicep tendonitis that's following an MRI. Thankfully, it's just the right bicep tendonitis. I think originally it was termed a lat tendonitis or a a right lat strain or I don't know, but they deleted the tweet, the original tweet, because I had posted as soon as they posted theirs. I retweeted it, but then they deleted it because the injury was a right biceps tendonitis. But we look at what McGill has done so far this season, and he has pitched unbelievably well outside of that start in Atlanta, his last start, which now looking back on it may be reason why he pitched so bad because he was hurt. You know, he gave up those eight runs in his last start, and hopefully now, I said his worst start was against Atlanta, I apologize, against Washington, where he gave up the eight hits the eight runs, one walk, and only struck out one batter. That was his worst start in one and a third innings pitched. But this season, he's 4-2. and two. The ERA's up there now because of the last two outings that he had. One against Atlanta and one against Washington where he gave up a, I think it was, uh, like I said, eight runs against Washington, but then he gave up three runs against Atlanta, which was, you know, that's par for the course there but four and two with a 4.41 era in seven games started 37 strikeouts a whip of 1.13 can't lose mcgill right now right he's an important part of this rotation we're already down one starter in jacob Degrom, and tyler mcgill has filled in as best as anyone could have filled in for the you know, injured ace of the staff, Jacob DeGrom. But where do the Mets go with the rotation from here? Obviously, Trevor Williams is going to get a spot start against the St. Louis Cardinals coming up in the next series, but you don't want him in the rotation. You want him doing what he's doing right now, and that's being, you know, the long reliever, if possible, coming in in games that are out of hand or with a big lead. You don't want him being the starter and fitting in that rotation just right now, but the Mets do have a little bit of depth right now. David Peterson will probably get the call up once all is said and done. He pitched this past weekend, so it means he wasn't going to start that game that they needed to fill for Tyler McGill. Look at 1-0 with a 1.89 E. ERA in 19 innings, 16 strikeouts, a whip of 1.13. He, in the opportunity that has been given to him, David Peterson has pitched so well, and it's all you could have asked for. Same thing with Tyler McGill. Both of them have pitched the best that they could. I know he had that really rough start when they first sent him down to the minors, but he has really turned it around. His last couple starts, he's pitched very well. He's an option. If he can't go, you got to go, I guess, with Thomas Zapucky, right? He's probably the next option before I would think of Jordan Yamamoto. He's a lefty. He's 0-3, but his ERA is 3 right now. And um, his career stance in, in the minor leagues is 6-15 with a 2.82 ERA. So he might have that Jacob deGrom luck where he can't get a victory. But maybe he gets an opportunity at some point this season. Him, David Peterson. I don't know where Jordan Yamamoto fits into this, but he'll probably be the third line of defense. We're still a little bit away from Joey Lucchese rejoining the team coming off of Tommy John surgery, but he, I don't think, is going to be a major factor going forward for this team. But the Mets do have some depth to work with, and they will use it during the dog days of summer and most of this month of May with DeGrom out, with Tyler McGill out for the next 
couple of weeks, probably. I'm going to think two weeks at least, at the very least. He's on the 15-day AL. That's going to be about two weeks. So we'll see about how the Mets handled that situation. But not only did the Mets lose a couple of players due to injury, but they also lost their first series this year. They lost, came at the hands of the Seattle Mariners. They take two of three. They won on Friday and Sunday. The Mets struggled with the bullpen all weekend. This is the first time this season that the Mets bullpen really struggled for an entire series. And they've, There's been some games that they've lost that the bullpen has messed up, but they've bounced back. This is the first time, really, that this bullpen has struggled for an entire series. Drew Smith, Chase, and Shreve had their first real hiccups. They gave up a couple of home runs, and everyone... I, I think we should just, you know, stay calm. Look at how well Drew Smith pitched the first month of the season. This is the first series he's given up runs this whole season. So I think he'll be fine. Chase and Streve, you know what you're getting with him. Lefty out of the pen. I don't know if I would have brought him in twice this series, especially with Joely Rodriguez kind of being stagnant. We didn't see him for a while, and he did come out on Sunday, and he gave up a run as well. Um, but, you know, get the fact that, you know, Chase and Streve and Joely Rodriguez are not going to give you the production that Aaron Loop gave you. And I don't even think Aaron Loop would give you the production this season that he gave you last season. But having those two lefties in the pen, it's going to work out. It was a rough series. You know, even the offense it has hit some kind of snag. Eduardo Escobar has struggled. J.D. Davis has struggled. Dom Smith, outside of that Sunday night game, he struggled. And Lindor, you know, also has been struggling. After having a great start to the season, I think he turned it around a little bit on Sunday where he got uh, had a home run and a couple RBIs. I think he will be okay. I think Eduardo Escobar may need a day off. I, they keep plugging him in there, maybe hoping he turns it around. He may need a day off, but we'll see what happens with him. J.D. Davis and Dom Smith are the ones to worry about a little bit because obviously there's that whole thing with releasing Robinson Cano so that they could get playing time. Smith has not really turned it around, like I said, since the game um, on Sunday night against the, I think it was the Philadelphia Phillies where he had that four-hit game. J.D. Davis had a, a big at-bat on Sunday driving in a couple of runs with a triple, but we need to see more from those two. The more playing time they get, you know, this is going to be a big moment for them because by the time the trade deadline comes around, they may lose spots if they're playing like this. So I hope that the two of them can turn around. I'm always going to support these guys on this team, hoping that they can provide the Mets what they need to win. So if those two can turn it around, big positive. Escobar needs to turn it around. Lindor... I'm confident he will turn it around. Because I know on Twitter there's either Lindor fans or Lindor haters. There's no in-between. I'm a Lindor fan, and I think that he will turn it around. He did prove to turn his season around last year. By that time, it was a little bit too late especially when he got hurt and missed uh, a part of, you know, the summer. But I, I I have confidence he will turn it around. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't realize how much I couldn't stand this Seattle Mariners team. Not because they beat us two out of three. That, those were well-earned victories for themselves. They played hard. Maybe it was Jesse Winker, and, you know, he had that whole issue last year playing for Cincinnati. You know, you but... but With Jesse, I feel like it's a love-hate relationship. You love to hate him, but I would take him on my team any day of the week. I think he's a pretty decent player. I think 
more than Winker. It was Paul Seawald that drove me nuts. He completely owned the Mets this weekend, and good for him. But something that really bothered me was on Sunday... You know, Sunday, after pitching very well, and, you know, he pitched well the whole series, just shutting out the Mets, completely owning the Mets, like I just said. You know, I I was never a fan of his tenure as a Met, but I never booed him. I don't boo any of the players on our team. I've mentioned that on podcasts before. I won't do that. Even if they're struggling, I'm not going to do that. I will support them and hope that they get to turn it around. Once you leave the team, all bets are off. But if you're on this team, I'm going to support you. Now, I was never a fan of his tenure as a Met. Like I said, I never, you know, booed him. But he claimed that the Met fans were rough to him and booed him during his time here. And all I saw this weekend, I think most fans were happy to see him succeed elsewhere. However, I lost respect for him when he was taunting the fans and, you know, pointing to his ear, like trying to hear if if the fans were going to boo him for what. But for what? What are we going to boo Paul Seawald for? I didn't boo Paul Seawald while he was a Met. Maybe I should have, because if you look back at his career, he was 1-14 and with a 5.50 ERA in 125 games. What is there to cheer about for Paul Seawald? Like I said, I didn't boo when he was on the team. I know I didn't want him on the team or on the bullpen, but they kept bringing him back, and I kept hoping that he would turn it around, but he didn't. And maybe the previous regime coaching staff, maybe they ruined him. The Wilpon regime... Maybe they ruined him. Mickey Calloway, if you want to throw Terry Collins in there, maybe he did. But he was given every opportunity to prove himself, and he stunk up the joint. There was nothing to cheer about. He had every opportunity in 125 appearances. He was 1-14 and with a 5.50 ERA. He didn't help himself. And maybe they pitched him too much. Well, guess what? That All those teams were so injury-riddled. I'm pretty sure that at that time, Paul Seawalt was excited to get an opportunity to pitch in as many games as he could. It's not the Mets fans' fault that he, he failed here. Good for him that he's doing well in Seattle. But he needs to move on. We've all moved on from Paul Seawalt. He's only now made this worse because if they ever come back here or the next time, whether he's on the Mariners or on another team, whenever he comes to pitch here, now he's going to get booed like a Jesse Winker. He's earned that now. All of this rooting for him on the other team and hoping he does well, well, he kind of ruined that for himself. So he needs to move on. He's got bigger fish to fry out there in Seattle. He's got to worry about the Houston Astros. He's got to worry about the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and Texas Rangers and Oakland A's. Worry about those teams. Pitch well against those teams. Make the playoffs. Pitch well in the playoffs. Don't worry about the Mets. Don't worry about their fans. You didn't leave a great lasting impression here. So move on. Speaking of moving on, has Jeff McNeil moved on from his frustrating 2021 or what? McNeil has been absolutely awesome this season. 308 batting average. He's got 36 hits in 117 at bats. One home run this season, 14 RBIs. He's been a hitting machine for this team. Despite that 2021 where he was trying to swing for the fences and where he was injured most of the year. You know, besides that, we've got the Jeff McNeil of old. Look at his batting average. I know a lot of people don't like to look into batting average, but that's still an important stat to me. 2018 when he first came up, 63 games. 
329. In 133 games in 2019, the All-Star year, he batted 318. 2020, in that shortened season, in 52 games, he batted 311. 2021 is where he struggled and batted 251. Now he's back over 300 again, and his five-year span, he's batting 300. He's got an OPP this year of 369, a slugging of 419, and an OPS of 788. Not only has his offense been good, but he has played pretty commendable defense at second base and left field. Finally feels like him and Lindor have gotten into this groove in their second year as a tandem up the middle. McNeil's range has been a pleasant surprise, not only to me, but I'm pretty sure to you as well. Better than I thought he would be. I thought when he would play this season that most of his time would be in left field, which I wasn't as confident about either, but I had rather him play left field than play second when he had all these issues last year with communication with Lindor. And I didn't like what I saw from him at third base when... They were in spring training at the start of 2021, but he's played great defense, I think, at second base. It's been a pleasant surprise. He has played great since the beginning of the season, but I think releasing Robbie Cano definitely has helped put him a little more at ease, you know, especially when Buck Showalter said in a press conference, you know, and quite frankly, during, I think, what was the beginning of the season, that he would be playing every day and starting second base. All we can ask for is what we've seen from Jeff McNeil. Now, if the rest of this offense can, you know, step it up a bit, Lindor and, you know, Starling Marte, and if you see Starling Marte start hitting on all cylinders and him running the bases, man, what a player he is. If you could get, you know, Eduardo Escobar to get back on track and maybe get a little offense from these catchers. This team is going to be an offensive juggernaut, and we've already seen what we need to see from Pete Alonso. He's already turned the corner. Outside of him still swinging at those sliders away, he's not only just a power hitter. He's hitting now. He's hitting to all sides of the field, opposite field. He's doing the thing. We just need to get this offense hitting on all cylinders right now. Right now, they're in a little bit of a rut. Hopefully, they could turn it around. Hopefully, we could get some offerings from J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. We're going to have to see it at some point this season where all of these guys are hitting at the same time and not struggling. Most of them struggling at the same time. But McNeil has had a great start. Hopefully, it continues. I just love the way his at-bats have come through this season. Had some clutch at-bats. McNeil seems like he is back to his good old self. Now, before this train leaves the station, a few final notes. Chris Bassett has talked about being open to a contract extension, and he's pitched well since joining the New York Mets. He's 4-2 with a 2.34 ERA in seven games, 42 and a third innings pitched, 46 strikeouts, a whip of 102. Man, you got to think, right, real hard. Should the Mets extend him during the season, right? Because you're talking about the shape of the rotation moving forward going into 2023. Because you're going to look at this. Jacob deGrom is set to be a free agent, right? He already announced that even though he's hurt, he was hurt for most of this season, he has announced that he's going to test free agency. Or at least, you know, get a bigger extension from the Mets. So he's going to be a free agent. 
right? You also have Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco becoming free agents. And if Chris Bassett also becomes a free agent, then the Mets rotation becomes only, I think, you got Max Scherzer, you have Tyler McGill, David Peterson, and who else after that? So I would assume that the Mets would try to extend Chris Bassett. That would go a long way helping the depth of this team. And I'm, I'm, I can't see Jacob DeGrom leaving. I mean, it's possible, obviously. I just, I don't see it. Obviously, I don't want to see it. But if he can have a good second half, I'm sure Steve Cohen would sign him, will sign Bassett, and I don't know what else happens with Cookie Carrasco and what happens with Taiwan Walker moving forward. This is a big proving year for both of them who are set to be free agents. The depth of this rotation will need to grow at some point. Maybe the Mets sign another free agent. Um... I don't really know who else outside of Thomas Apuki and Jordan Yamamoto. Also, you know, there's Joey Lucchese. I don't know where they fit in, but we'll see how that happens. But it would be a nice sign to sign Chris Bassett. He looks like he's a pitcher that can handle New York. He's got that bulldog mentality, and that's something that you want in a pitcher. Speaking of pitchers, Sean Reed Foley needs Tommy John surgery after he tore his UCL. The two worst words for a pitcher, Tommy John and Sean Reed Foley did not have the start to the season that he wanted. He struggled mightily through most of it uh, with a 540 ERA, seven games he played in, and in 10 innings pitched, he had eight strikeouts, but he did not pitch well out of the bullpen. You thought that maybe him or Trevor Williams would distinct themselves in the bullpen, but they, they really didn't, and I think even before he got hurt, there was a chance that he may have been one of the players to be released, but the injury bug caught him. He's going to have Tommy John surgery, and we wish him nothing but the best in a safe, healthy, and quick recovery. Jacob deGrom got moved to the 60-day DL, and I just want to say not to be worried about that. Uh, Most of that is retroactive. Obviously, he wasn't going to come back within the 60 days, so you might as well just put him on there. Um, One thing I will say, and someone mentioned this on Twitter today, is how we should feel about Jacob deGrom, and if it's wrong to go in with the mindset that he may not return this season, and I say, you know, that that's not a bad mindset to go about. We all should be acting as if he's not returning this season. And anything that we get from him is a plus. You know, for so long, uh, I think in mostly in 2019-2020, I was at the seat of my pants and nervous anytime something would happen with DeGrom. When he would, you know, have a blister or something and be out for a game. It was something that always made me nervous. And that's not a way about to go about you know the game and to go about your season that it's not healthy so if you go about thinking that he's not returning for the season and then he comes back and he returns and he pitches well then that's a positive it's a plus but we should not act like he's going to return be the Jacob deGrom of old be the Jacob deGrom from last year or even pitch for the entire season whatever we get from Jacob deGrom hopefully it's all positive and he hopefully pitches well whatever we get that's what we're gonna get from him I don't I don't know how if he's going to be this injury-prone player moving forward, or if he can overcome these injuries and have a long-lasting career like a Max Scherzer has going on for him right now. But I would go to battle with this team that we have right now, and if Jacob DeGrom comes back, let's just enjoy the heck out of it. One last thing that I want to mention, the Mets pulling out all the stops, wearing the Travis Jankowski jerseys. I don't know if you heard his press conference when he um, got a start not too long ago, but he talked about people not buying his jersey because maybe he's not one of the stars 
Uh, he went on to say, no one's going to buy my jersey, but I still think there's a big part of what I bring to the table that is very important and needed to winning teams. And it's right. I mean, I've talked about this. I talked about it in spring training. I've been a big Travis Jankowski fan since he was brought in. He's got speed, he plays defense, and he's very reliable off the bench. And we've been getting offense from him, which is times two positive right there. So it was funny that this past week, after he said that whole story about the jersey, that two weeks later, now in the present here, uh, Eduardo Escobar opened a box. And in that box... During a team meeting, there was Travis Jankowski jerseys. And Travis Jankowski go on to say, I've never been part of a team where the people genuinely care. It's a really cool vibe in here. You know, I didn't really hear much of that last year about the vibe of the team and how they were, you know, like a family now. And, and you saw them at the New York Rangers Game 7. I think that was perfect for them to go to. One, it's a good bonding experience for them, a good time for these guys to get together, hang out, just do their thing and, and just chill and, you know, watch what it's like to play in New York during the postseason and see what could happen if that time, if the Mets get to the postseason, it's going to be insane. So I like that this team has become some sort of, you know, a family almost. They got that, you know, vibe of a family, and I really dig it. I hope that it comes through for them moving forward and that they can be the first Mets team since 1986 to win a World Series. I would really enjoy seeing that. Like I said, not only has Travis Jankowski been a big part of this team, but there's so many of the new guys. We talked Bassett, uh, Escobar, even though he's not hitting, Canna. You know, he's been a big part of this team. Every person on this team has contributed, and that's all you can ask for. Well, that will wrap up the show for today. I thank you for listening and tuning in. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. Listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms I just mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. Let them know this is the Mets podcast to listen to. If you have been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. This show wouldn't be where it is today without you, so I appreciate all the support you're giving me. You've helped this show grow. You've helped take this show global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also reaches across the globe. So no matter where you listen, do me a favor. Please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, leaving me one to five stars, hopefully you're leaving me five stars, and comment in the review section, it could help me to help make this show better. You can also rate the show on Spotify. If you listen on Spotify, that's an option on there. Don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan-sided network at fan-sided. Thank you everyone once again for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much and that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember, to listen, subscribe, share, and review for Anthony Rivera. You've been listening to Subway to Shea.
Let's go Mets!